All right, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we have a connection desk out front that is there for you to uh, find a way to uh, get connected here at the chapel. If you need help with anything, encouragement with anything, please uh, let us know by going to uh, the table out front. Also, I uh, want to make you aware of our Vacation Bible School, which is taking place, in, I think, about the, the second to the last week of the month of June. Uh, we're trying to get that done early in the season so that we're kind of freed up for the rest of the summer. So that's June 20th. If you want to help with that ministry or if you want to sign up your kids for that ministry, you'll find all the data for that right next to the Connection Desk out front. So make sure that you uh, check that out. Also wanted to say that last night we had a really nice... Uh, community blend event here that uh, Jewel and company ran, had a, a lot of folks here, and I think a real encouraging evening. So sometimes people are asking ways the building is being used, and that's the way this place was very busy uh, last night. So today is uh, Mother's Day, and it's a day that we have the opportunity to express our gratitude to those that have lived so selflessly in our midst. Uh, this last week had the privilege of having all three of our girls home, uh, destroying the solitude of our home. Uh, I mean, literally obliterating it because it rained for days. Uh, but it was great to have them present. And it was uh, a reminder of what it takes to be a good mom and watching uh, them selflessly and tirelessly pour themselves out for the benefit of the little ones that are in their lives. Uh, you know, a few months ago, my wife sent a text to, we have a little family group text, and uh, my wife sent a text to all of us in that group, and what she was doing was reflecting on my mom and her experience in a way that is uh, fascinating. I had, I mean, I know these facts, but my wife wrote it down on paper, and when you see it on paper, it's astonishing. Think of these dates, ladies. Married September of 57. Kenny born June of 58, Donnie born June of 59, Tim born September of 60, and Becky born September of 62. No wonder my dad said, or the doctor said to my dad, you know how this works, right? <laughs> so we have the real unique blessing today ladies to thank you and uh, for the tireless and selfless work that is done on behalf of children uh, you got to get immersed back in it to realize what it takes and uh, i just want to express my gratitude for the mom that god gave me before him this morning and also just share that little story with you uh, and and express our appreciation to all of you that uh, are in that role in our lives we're thankful for you Proverbs 31, 30 says this, it says, Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Our Father, as we come before you this morning and prepare our hearts for worship in your presence, we want to honor you, Lord. We want you to be exalted and glorified. And along with that praise that we give to you today, Lord, we express also our gratitude to you for the gift of moms. And Lord, as I say that, I know in some cases that that uh, gratitude is very difficult because sometimes there can be broken relationships that we live with in a fallen world. 
uh, show us how to be gracious as best we can as we deal with the immense struggles that are often present relationally. Uh, so, Lord, for those that deal with that and work through that, I pray strength for them today. And, uh, God, help us to express the gratitude that we ought to to uh, those that have so deeply influenced our lives. As we pray this morning, Lord, we want to thank you for the good progress that Mike Lorena is experiencing uh, as he has battled with leukemia. And uh, this, I think it was last week, was able to go back to work. So we express to you our gratitude for that progress. We continue to lift up Diana Kelly and Victor. And uh, God, our, our, our desire is for healing, and we ask you for that gift, Lord. We also continue to pray for strengthening and encouragement uh, that this season would be glorifying to your name in and through their lives as they spend time with their family in the week to come and uh, just enjoy life together. God, I pray that your blessing would be abundant in them. Thank you for the, the good news with uh, Gary Hoyt and for the tremendous progress that he's experiencing. Lord, we want to thank you and just praise you for that work in his life. And uh, God, we continue to pray for Tom, that you would be restoring him and bringing him back to our fellowship as I know he longs to experience. So we pray for that blessing to fall into his life by your glory, Lord. Bless as we sing your praises now. Lord, we, we aim and we desire together with one voice to glorify you and to exalt Christ and to be sensitive as your spirit clarifies truth about Jesus as we sing. Do that for your glory, I pray this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Morning, everyone. Would you sing with us? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near, and I will fear no evil. This is why.
Thank you. 
came for us, Lord. Your love went furthest. Yes, your love. Yes, your love goes furthest now. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us. Let us out of death. You alone belongs the highest praise. to the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of we lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. Yes, you, Lord. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. You alone can rescue, you alone can save, you alone can lift us from the you came down to find us, let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest Christ assure. Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me and my sins have all been torn. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my
Christ the shore. Christ the shore and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief. Hopeless somehow, oh my soul, now lift your eyes to Calvary. This my palace of assurance, see his love forever prove. I will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be removed. Christ the shore, Christ the shore, and steady anchor as we face the wave of death. When the trials give way to glory as we draw our final breath we will cross that great horizon clouds behind and life secure and the calm will be the God, we come before you this morning full of praise and full of wonder at the mystery of looking to Calvary as our salvation, as our hope. God, we thank you that we can trust you, that we can look to you as an example, and not just of, uh, not just of your saving grace, Lord, and not just uh, that aspects of you dying for us on the cross, but also that idea of a sacrifice. God, help us to be sacrificial in our lives. And maybe even for this week in the small things, I'm a pretty selfish person. You, you're very aware of that, God. And it's little things. It's not big things. I think I'm pretty easy, pretty uh, good with big things, trying not to be too selfish about things. But it's little things that I catch myself with. My own time, the things that I want to do, the minutes in a day. God, we're celebrating Mother's Day today. You made the concept of mothers. This is not foreign to you. And more often than not, I know this is not every mother, but more often than not, it seems that mothers are the most sacrificial people on this planet, or at least that's the way I think of my mother. Giving so much time, so much energy to the things that I cared about, the things that I wanted to do, caring very little for herself. And again, I know that's not every mother, and I understand that, but God, thank you for how moms typically are trying to be sacrificial in that way, giving for their kids, looking to give to those around them. I thank you that it's ultimately, Lord, an example of who you are. You did not come to be served, but to serve, Lord. We thank you for that. We ask God now as we hear your word, Lord, may it dwell down deep in our hearts. And as we finish out the book of Esther, God, we thank you for it. We thank you for its complicated ending. 
How it's a strange way to end the book, Lord, but we're looking forward to seeing how your mercy and your grace come through that this morning. We ask your blessing on Pastor James now. We thank you for this time of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Esther chapter 5? And uh, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. Well, happy Mother's Day. And there's my mom back there. I did not get a chance to say hello to her. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Um, and for all of the other ones. You know, Mother's Day is one of those weird days because um, uh, there are some that are having challenging relationships with their mothers, and this is not um, an easy day. There are some that have lost their moms, and this may be actually the first Mother's Day uh, with the loss of your mom, and that has um, got to be very hard. So um, I feel for you. So some of you struggle with your relationships with your mom. Some of you struggle with your relationship with your kids. Some of you have lost your moms. But all of us had a mom, and uh, we thank God for that because we're here, and we want to celebrate. And, uh, you know, for some of us, we didn't have uh, the parents that we would have wanted, and God brought other people into your life to fill those voids as well. Uh, so those people um, are there to, are as, as gifts given to you by God. So just remind yourself of that on these kind of days. We have come to the next to last message in the book of Esther. And I, we've entitled, or uh, Pastor Doug entitled our series, God's Presence in Perilous Times. And as you've been going through these last couple of messages in the book of Esther, you have found that God's name is not even listed in the whole book of Esther. But his invisible hand is there. And what I'm hoping you're going to see through this message today as we span three chapters today is that you can face your enemies because you can trust in God's invisible hand. He is here with you. And that as the times are chaotic, and we're living in really chaotic and confusing and challenging times, and, and perhaps you're discouraged, perhaps you're defeated, perhaps you're feeling some level of depression, because you look at, it seems like the foes of Christ, the enemies of Christ, the wicked seem to be winning. And therefore, if they're winning, it seems like we're losing. And perhaps you're tempted to believe that God is not here with you and God is not helping you. And maybe that God has not honored his word to you. And I can tell you on the authority of God's word that he hasn't. He's here. He is helping and he is going to honor his word. He always has. He never does. You may not be seeing miracles today. And there were no real miracles, I guess, in this story that I'm going to read for you and we're going to work through today. But there were miracles, in essence, because God was working in this way, in a silent way, a hidden way, an invisible way to show that he is still invincible. He has never stopped being God. So as the world around you seems to be chaotic and confusing, I want you to remind yourself of a God who never leaves you. You know, we are living in this culture today that is demanding and demeaning of Christian values. 
we are living in a culture today that is ostracizing us and persecuting us and bullying us. And it's only going to get worse as you go through our time today. And as we go through towards the future, it may get worse for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that even as the world is reactionary, even as the world is judgmental, even as the world may be quick to anger, God is still sovereign. As the world is out there and struggling with vindictiveness towards biblical beliefs, God is still sovereign. As the world is out there seeking justice against you and seeking to punish you, God is still sovereign. As the world puts together this mob justice and comes together to go against Christian values, God is still sovereign. And as you can remind yourself of that and take hope in that and comfort in that, your God never fails. So trust him. There are many Hamans in this world. There are many people that will seek to attack the people of God, but God is still absolutely and totally in control. Would you pray with me? So Father, as we begin this time, I pray that you would remind us that in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the challenge, in the midst of the discouragement and the defeat, as we hear of enemies all around us, foes all around us, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you are a good, good God. You are here. You keep your word. You are sovereign. You are faithful. You are gracious. You are loving, you are present. So Father, in the midst of the enemies that we will face, help us to trust in you, that you are the present God, even though you may be invisible to us at times. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so let's look at X, I'm sorry, Esther chapter five, and let's just work our way through this passage. Uh, it's going to be really interesting, as you can see, God's sovereign hand at work here. Esther chapter 5. Can't get this out. There we go. Verse 1. You know, I should say this. Chapters 1 through 4 have been over a series of years. I don't know, I'm nine years? I know it could be, it could be longer than that. So there's a year, series of years in chapters 1 through 4, and now we're going to get down to two days in the next three chapters. So it's going to really slow down. So watch what happens. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robe and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. So I'll stop there for a moment. And I want you to think about the courage that Esther must be having here. Uh, as we heard from Pastor Tim last week, he, she is being urged to go into the king. And she says, the king has not called me in for a period of time. And if I go into the king, I could be killed. And the courage that Esther must bolster up here. First, she tells them to pray. She says, I want you to fast and I want you to pray. And I want you to be prepared to lift my request to God. And if I go and if I die, I die. And the courage of this young woman to go before this most powerful man in the world, I can't even imagine. This little girl, this young lady is coming before this amazing king. And it says on the third day, I didn't, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but as you think through scripture, how many times is that phrase, the third day, bringing a sense of victory? You know, um, 
Jonah is in the belly of the whale for what, three days, right? Jesus is in the grave and he rises again after three days. And so on this third day, we've got this great sense of victory that she is now going to begin the mediation for her people, the salvation of her people. Okay, so she puts on royal robes. She doesn't put on seductive dress. I would think she would try to probably put on her most seductive dress to try to get his attention, but she doesn't do that. She puts on her royal robes and she goes into the inner court. And now the king must have known that something was really important for this woman to now come into the presence without being ushered in. And she would have needed an invitation to come in and that he could have killed her. So she's risking her life. She enters the court. She stands before the king. Verse 2. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Oh, you know, he saw his bride. He saw his beauty right there. And it's like, whoa, he saw her. And then she got favor in his sight. And then he held out. He says, come into my presence. What a beautiful word that is. The king saw her, won favor. And the danger, the first danger is now over. The danger that he's going to have me killed is gone. Verse 3. I want you to see her patience. The king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even to half my kingdom. Now that's hyperbole, royal hyperbole. This is the way they kind of talked in that time. He basically saying, Tell, ask me whatever you want. The sky's the limit. We, we see this also in scripture, if you remember, uh, when the king had John the Baptist in jail and he's his stepdaughter I think is dancing before him and he says I'll give you whatever you want up to whatever and she says I want the head of John the Baptist well here Queen Esther doesn't do that Queen Esther says this he says Queen Esther says in verse 4 she says if it pleases the king let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I prepared for the king so she's asked she's asking for king 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 to come and Haman to come to a feast a banquet Verse 5, and the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may, ha may do what Esther has asked, so that the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. It's interesting, I, I won't go too far into this, but as we've been reading through Esther, over and over again, the king is being led by somebody else. The king is not leading, you know, it's like Esther says, I want you to do this, and the king says, okay, I'll do it. And so over and over again, we don't see this king really ruling as much as he is kind of being led. But let's keep going. Uh, verse 6, um, he says, and as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said, what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Once again, this is the second time he's asking her. Because they, they brought Haman to this feast. Haman is now drinking and partying with the king. They're drinking and partying. Again, this king really likes to drink and party. We saw that throughout this. So, I mean, he, and I, I don't know what happens when he drinks and parties, but we'll see that he gets pretty angry at times so the king asked Esther again what is your request and now in the presence of many witnesses but in presence of Haman specifically and now he knows that if whatever she asks he's going to have to do now there's this great pregnant pause here in verse 7 then, then Esther answers my wish 
my request is, and I don't know if there was a pause or not, the, uh, the writer, the one that broke down these verses, has this in verse 7 and then goes to verse 8 because I, I almost think that there's a pause here. It's like, here, here's my request, here's my wish, but something happened. She, I don't know what happened, the timing just was not right. She did not mention Haman at this moment in time. So what she says is this in verse 8, if I have found favor in your sight, and if it pleases the king, grant my wish and fulfill my request. Let the king and Haman come to a feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So Esther requests that they come back to another feast, a second one, on a second day, on the very next day. Well, king says, okay, another feast, more drinking, more partying, why not? So let's try that. Verse 9, I want you to think about the hatred that Haman has here. Now, Haman walks away, and I can't imagine what it would be to have dinner with the most powerful person in the world and be invited. And it's like this solo dinner with the most powerful person in the world. It would be like, wow, that's pretty cool. And not only do I have dinner with this person, I am like second in command to this person. I mean, I've got some real oomph here in this society. I mean, Haman should have been ecstatic. And he was for a moment. Watch. Verse 9. And Haman went out the day joyful and glad in his heart. Now, this is not biblical joy, and this is not biblical gladness, because you can watch what happens very quickly. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, he was neither, he neither rose or trembled before him. He was filled with wrath against Mordecai. The anger, the bitterness, the hatred, the resentment that Haman had, the pride, the jealousy, He's this root of bitterness that was in him, that his joy was gone in a moment because he saw a man that would not bow before him. He was with the king, the most powerful person in the world, and this man will not bow to him, and Haman needs it. But before we go too far, I want you to think about yourself and myself. What is it that we have in God? Infinite wealth and Blessing upon blessing, and what is it that we think we desperately need to be happy? What is the thing that you need to grab onto to be happy more often than not? And, and what is the thing that you are lacking? I talk, talk with my clients about surplus mindset versus deficit mindset. The surplus, recognizing that my cup is overflowing in Christ. Deficit is, I lack this, I need this, I want this, I demand this. What is the thing that you desperately think that you need in order to be happy? Haman could not be happy with the blessing that he had. He wanted more. It's the heart of an idol. Just craving, 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 and never satisfying. So Haman's joy and gladness was not biblical joy. It was not based on Christ, it was based on circumstances. He was not satisfied. He was not secured with the king's approval. He needed everyone's approval. And because he didn't have that, he was angry. Verse 10. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. It's interesting, that word. I didn't go too far into it, but he restrained himself, I would assume, externally with his words or actions. And he went home and he set his and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh among him. Now, the restraint was not internal because all the hatred and bitterness and anger and animosity was happening in. He's not restraining his heart. He's just restraining his actions, which is interesting. Because if you don't restrain your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, your heart is going to come out in habit. 
It's going to have to. And it's going to come out here in a moment. Verse 11, and Haman recounted to them the splendor of the riches and the number of the sons and all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above all the officials in the servants of the king. He, this is this bow session, you know. I love the song, How Great Thou Art, you know. How great, I'm not going to sing it. How great thou art, because if I sang it, you probably walk out. Haman's not singing how great thou art. He's singing how great I am over and over again. His pride is rising up here. Verse 12, and then Haman said, Queen Esther, let no one but me come to the king to the feast that she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Oh man, boastful, pride, arrogant. Verse 13, all of this is worth nothing to me. So as long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, you hear the racism, maybe? You hear this demeaning of a whole group of people? It's been here from the beginning of time. Sitting at the king's gate. He can't have a good day. He can't be happy because one man will not bow before him. He can't enjoy life because he needed everything and everyone to be happy. And it just reminded me of King Ahab. If you remember the story of King Ahab, King Ahab is king over the land. And he looks and he sees one little vineyard over here and he says, I need that vineyard. And his wife, Jezebel, if you remember, says, why don't you get that piece of land? Why don't you just kill that guy and take the piece of land? Over and over again, there are things that we think we desperately need that will end up producing our destruction. And we need to be very careful with the counsel that we're going to receive because the counsel that he received was really bad. So they keep going. Verse 14. Then his wife Jarish and his friend said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high. I think Pastor Tim talked about this last week. 75 feet high. I don't know if it literally was 75 feet high, but it was pretty tall. Be made, and in the morning, tell the king, tell the king, not ask, interesting, tell the king that Mordecai, Mordecai be hanged upon it. Once again, they probably knew you could kind of manipulate the king and get him to do what you want. Then joyfully go to the king's feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. 75 feet high, why it was going to be a public display, he's going to put him up there. He's impaling him on this. It's not hanging like a noose, they're impaling them on this, not to be too graphic. And it kind of goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Israel used to kind of do some of this, and they talked about, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. Keep that in mind. So Haman's getting some terrible counsel here. I've been counseling for 30 years, and there are some people out there that give people such terrible counsel, unbiblical counsel, godless counsel. And, and as they receive this counsel, you know, it's like sometimes I have found that there are people that will go from one counselor to another counselor to another counselor to another counselor until they find somebody that is going to tell them what they want to hear. And in some ways, this is what is happening here with Haman. Haman has found exactly what he wants to hear. Somebody is telling me to destroy Mordecai. Oh, let's go for it. Sovereignty. A sleepless night. Chapter 6, verse 1. On that night, 
Watch the timing. Haman is over here plotting. God is sovereignly working behind the scenes. His invisible hand is working behind the scenes. On that night, the king could not sleep. I don't know, indigestion? I don't know, he drank too much. I have no idea what it was. But it just so happens that he can't sleep on that night. huh? And he gave an order to have the books of memorable deeds and the chronicles read before him. I don't know, it's kind of like, I mean, used, we used to have... Um, uh, telephone books. It's almost like I knew people that would read a telephone book to go to bed. Some of you, maybe it's read your Bible and you do go to sleep. I, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I couldn't believe. But what is it that you turn on to fall asleep? Because it'll just bore you to tears. And it just so happens in verse 2, it was found written how Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, who sought to lay hands on King Ashuaris. You remember way back in chapter two, I think it was, um, where Mordecai overheard this plot and he went and protected the king. Remember that had happened years before. And verse three, the king says, what honor or distinction have been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king, young men who attended him said, nothing has been done. This is an overlook of monumental importance. Years before, nothing had been done. This unfortunate oversight of helping and honoring Mordecai for what he had done just so happened on that night, the night that Mordecai was going to, the night before Mordecai was gonna be impaled. Because it just so happens that way. It's chance. It's fate. It's random, right? No. The king discovered that Mordecai had never been honored. He says, this is absolutely wrong. We can't do this. So now it just so happens. <laughs> Who comes into the court? Verse 4. And the king said, Who's in the court? I see somebody, I see somebody over in there in the court. And Haman just so happened to enter the court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. Because it just so happened that way. It was random. It was by chance, you know, circumstance, right? And the king notices that Haman's out there and he arrives and, and Haman's desire to get permission to kill him. Verse 5, and the king said to the young men, have Haman brought here, standing in the court, and let him come in. And the king allows him, he enters, uh, Haman enters his presence. Now Haman is now getting ready to say, okay, I'm going to tell the king that I would like this guy killed. Verse 6, so Haman came in and said, the king said to him, what should be done for the man who the king delights to honor? Now that just so happened, right? Before Haman could actually ask, did just so happen by chance that the king was going to ask this question. No. And Haman said to himself, ooh, yeah. Who's, God gonna, who's the king going to want to honor more than me? Me. I'm the man, right? So the king asked Haman what should be done, and Haman just rightly assumes or wrongly assumes that it's about him. Verse 7, and he said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let the royal robes be brought which the king has wore. Let the horse that the king has ridden on and let the head of the royal crown be set. 
and let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's nobles, most noble officials, and let them dress the man in the king's delight to honor, and let them lead him on a horse through the square, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Oh, <laughs> this is going to be fun. He lays out this audacious thing. Haman, in essence, says, give me the royal robes, which only the king has wore. He says, let me, let me have the horse, which only you've ridden on. Let me put a crown on my head. Haman is just like in his glory. He is like, this is going to be great. But the invisible hand of God and the divine reversal the irony. Verse 10. The king said to Haman, hurry, timing. Take the robe and the horse, very specific, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew, who sits on the king's gate. Leave nothing out. Be total in my command. I can't imagine what Haman must have been feeling at that moment in time. The, the height to the depth, the pride to the humility, it's just gone. The humiliation. I have to do this for Mordecai and I have to lead this? I can't imagine. Haman has to fulfill the king's command and honor Mordecai. If he doesn't, he had, well, he had no choice. He had to do it. So what does he do? He actually leads the parade for Mordecai. And he's going through the town saying what? This shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. I'm sure he wasn't putting a whole lot of emphasis into it, but he was shouting it over and over again, proclaiming this message. I want you to see the downfall. Verse 12, a dramatic turn of events. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning, his head covered, sign of grief. He returned home humiliated. He's full of shame. He, he just is overwhelmed. And now, listen to the counsel that he receives from his wife and his uh, friends. And Haman told his wife, Jeresh, and their friend, friends everything that had happened to him. And the wise men and his wife, Sarah, said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, you have now, you wanted him to think before you, but now you have fallen before him, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but surely will fall before him. I guess if I were Haman, I'd say, well, where was this counsel yesterday? <laughs> I didn't get this counsel from you yesterday. But this grand paradox of Haman thinking that Mordecai should bow before him, but now Haman is bowing before Mordecai. And the wife says, he, she must have known something about the biblical God. She must have known something about history. You cannot go against the God of the Jews. You can't do it. You will be doomed. You will be in trouble. You are leading yourself to destruction. And watch the timing here in verse 14. While, another timing word, they were yet talking with him. The king's eunuch arrived, hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. He had no time to run, no time to scheme, no time to plan. He had absolutely no time from that moment to this moment. God's sovereign hand is at work. He has to go to the party. 
Now, as he's sitting at the party, chapter 7, verse 1, I think he's probably trying to get his bearings. He's trying to get his feet under him, and he's trying to refocus. And he's at this party, great food, great drink. And it says here, so the king and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, this is two days. We've gone through two chapters, two days here. They were drinking wine after the feast, and the king said to Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? This is the third time he has asked her. Is it, it shall be granted to you at your request, even to half my kingdom. Once again, hyperbole, but the sky's the limit. Ask me what you want. So he asked in chapter 5, verse 3. He asked in chapter 5, verse 6, and now he's asking for a third time. Now Queen Esther is going to share. The Queen Esther answered him, if I have found favor, I love that word, in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted for me, for my wish, and my people for my request. I think of Moses. Moses is standing before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. Esther is standing before this king and saying, protect my people, let my people be free. Verse 4, for we have been sold, Haman's bribe, I am my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Those same three words, if you go back to chapter 3, are the same three words in Haman's edict to kill the Jews. Destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And if it, we were to be sold as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not compared to the loss of the king. She's saying that if you were just going to sell me and sell my people into slavery, which they already were, um, but if you were going to, that would be fine with me. But your, your request here through Haman is that you will destroy us, kill us, and annihilate us, and I can't be silent any longer. This fearful girl has now become courageous. This patient girl has now spoken up. Then King Ashwaras said to the Queen Esther, who is this? Give me his identity. Where is he? Give me his location. Who dares to do this? Give me his motivation. Why would he dare to do this? Who is this man that is going to take the wife, my wife's life and her family's life? And it's like this grand drama, the courtroom drama. She points her finger right over there and she says, the foe, the enemy, this wicked Haman. Haman was terrified. I mean, you talk about grand reversal. I mean, he went from being honored to humiliation that he's got to lead her, lead Mordecai around, now to horror in his life. He is panicking. The privilege has plunged to just panic in his life. I can't imagine. He's standing before the king, and it's like, I was like the king's best friend, and in a moment, I'm, it's done. And the king arose in his wrath, from wine drinking and he went to the palace garden you know the king was drinking and when he drank you know saw so all, all the way back in chapter one he did some impulsive things when he drank and now he's doing another impulsive thing he's probably trying to hold himself back from doing something impulsive he goes out but Haman stayed and begged for his life from Queen Esther for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king Haman is thinking I, I can't run I can't follow the king because he's gonna kill me I can't run because I can't get rid of the guards so my best option is to to beg the queen for her mercy so he gets down and he begs her now 
around. She's probably laying on some type of couch, and he's down at her feet trying to beg. And as, as, she's, as King Ashwaris comes back in, it's kind of humorous what happens here. And verse 8. The king returned from the palace garden to the place where the king was drinking wine, and Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Now, what he saw was he saw it seemed as though he was going to attack his wife. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to have my wife killed, and now you're going to assault her in my own home? Are you crazy? That's... So what did they do? They covered Haman's face. Somebody, one of the commentators had talked about, uh, I think it was a commentator had talked about maybe the angel kind of gave a nudge to, um, to Haman so that he was falling over on Esther. Whatever it was, the sovereign hand of God was at work. When you face your enemies, I want you to know that you can trust in the invisible hand of God. He is in complete and total control. Everything has been orchestrated by him. Verse 9. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on it. What were the charges against Mordecai? Well, I'm sorry, against Haman. He had manipulated the king into killing the Jews. He bribed him. He seemingly was assaulting Queen Esther right in front of the king. And now he planned to kill the very man that had saved the king's life. That was enough for the king. Verse 10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. And the wrath of the king was abated. This grand reversal. What a difference one day makes in the life of people. So I want you to think about this. I want you to think about all of the uh, struggles that are happening in your life and in my life today. I want you to think about Esther. I want you to think about her character. She was courageous. She was prayerful. She was courageous. She was patient. She planned. She was resourceful. She trusted in God. She went vertically. Then she went out horizontally. She was an amazing woman. She served at the risk of her own life. She wanted to protect her people, even if it meant her own death. Think about Haman. He achieved great power, second in command in this area. But Haman was hateful and prideful and self-centered. And his insatiable thirst for power, his insatiable thirst for prestige, led to his own self-destruction. Two paths. Which path are you on today? Which path am I on today? I want you to think about this. Some of us are getting overwhelmed with the circumstances that are happening today. And some crazy things are happening in our society today. I never thought um, 10 years ago that we would be dealing with, or even two years ago, that we would be dealing with some of the craziness that we're experiencing in our society today. But I want you to know that God's hand is seen in every detail and every purpose that is happening. Every part of the timing is God's. God allowed for the drunken party in the first chapter. God allowed for a queen to say, I'm not going to go and parade myself before your men. God allowed for all the women in that area to funnel down to one woman, Queen Esther. God allowed for Mordecai to overhear this plot. 
God allowed for Esther to get a number of people to come alongside her and pray. God allowed for Haman to be at this party. God allowed for Haman to get the counsel for the building of this gallows. God allowed for the sleepless night for the king. God allowed for the fact that he was going to read the journal. God allowed for Mordecai's name to come up. God allowed for the next dinner to come. God allowed for the fact that Mordecai, I'm sorry, Haman was going to stumble over the couch. God allowed for the fact that the eunuch would say, there's a gallows out there. Your sovereign God is in complete and total control. Do not get overwhelmed with what you see is happening around you because what you see happening around you, you are not seeing through the eyes of the sovereign God. He's in absolute total control. His invisible hand, his hidden hand is at work. There is not a coincidence. There is not an act of fate. There is not a chance in this world. There is a sovereign God who is the designer, the coordinator. He is working all of these things for his glory and your good. And so if you could live with that hope and if you could trust in that God, you can have peace. That surpasses understanding. You can have a joy that is unspeakable. The sovereign God is sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over grace. He's sovereign over even the sinful acts of humanity. You bring it to the cross. I guess another connection would be Pilate's wife. You remember Pilate's wife had said, don't have anything to do with this man. Your downfall is for sure. I want you to think about everything that marched towards the cross. It seemed as though humanity was acting, and they were, in their own sinful choices. But God, you intended it for evil, but God what? Intended it for good. That is the God who rules. That is the God who reigns. That is the God we can trust. So as the world is chaotic and confusing, brothers and sisters and friends, I want you to know that though at times it seems that God is invisible, one pastor said he is always invincible. I like that quote. God's silence is not absence. His hiddenness is not abandonment. God works through extraordinary means and God works through the ordinary means. God is at work. One more, one more quote before we go. In, in God's sovereignty... God not only determines the end, he also controls the means to accomplish the end. So God is at work in, in the smallest details of your life. He's in, at work in the biggest details. I love the gospel, and the gospel says that um, we've got a problem. We are morally corrupt. We are guilty. We're condemned. We are alienated. That's what the law says. But then the gospel comes in and says this, I, I want to give you a new nature. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you a reconciled relationship with me. And what God does, one of the greatest doctrines of the church, I believe, is justification. Justification is that you are declared not guilty. Not guilty in the sight of God. And I, I, I saw this theme over and over again. I tried to highlight it. How many times did Esther come into the presence of the king and found favor in his sight and was given entrance into their relationship? That's justification. Justification that the great God, not King Ashuaris, but the great God, the great king, allows you to come into his presence by grace through the work of Christ, not because of your character and conduct, because you're not beautiful, in essence, like Esther was, 
We're ugly in sin before that God, but that God says, I want you in my presence. And that through the character and conduct of God, he pardons all of your sins. He accepts you as righteous in his sight. It's not based on what you do, but it's based on Christ. And that you can come into his presence. And the anger at the end of the chapter, you remember the anger of the king was abated when Haman was killed? The anger of God for your sin has been abated on the cross if you trust in Christ. All of his anger, all of the condemnation that you would have to experience is wiped away in the cross. Beautiful. And that we come to Christ, in, we come to God in faith alone. And it's a gift. This golden scepter has been laid out before you. You can come into the presence of God with confidence and boldness and hope and joy, real joy that doesn't depend on the circumstances that are around you, but real joy. Oh, man. That is a real king. This king liked her because she was beautiful, liked her because she did right things for him. The king says, I love you in spite of you. I love you because I love you. That's the king I would like to serve. Let's pray today. So Father, today I pray that you would remind us of this great king, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we, we stand here today and we recognize that there are far too many people in this world that are looking to attack you. There are Hamans all over the place, little antichrists all over this world. Some of them get together in mobs. Some of them will act on their own. Some of them will leak documents. Some of them will do whatever they can to try to destroy your truth. But Father... They can't. The gates of hell will not prevail against your church. Some of us may be hurt. Some of us may even be killed. But your church will continue to reign and rule because you reign and rule. So, Lord, help us to trust you. As we face our enemies, Lord, help us to trust in even your invisible hand that works all things together for good. We saw it in the cross. We see it in Esther's story. We have seen it in our lives. Help us to glory in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a good day to, uh, there's always a good day to take the Lord's table. Because it's at the Lord's table we, we remind ourselves in this communion service about this great ordinance of the church. And what we do is we give and receive bread. We give bread and we receive this cup. And in it, we are showing forth the very death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're getting spiritually nourished as we come to this table. Because as we come to this table, we're reminded of what Christ did for us. And we testify with one another as we take this cup and we take this bread. We are testifying that we trust in that Christ. And, and so today, I want you to take this nourishment spiritually. I want you to fellowship with one another emotionally and relationally. I want you to remind yourself of the mutual love that God has for you. I didn't end my sermon with this. I wanted to end my sermon with this verse, but I'll end it now. In Romans chapter 11, it says this. Oh, the depths and the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments 
How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him, to God, that he might be repaid? For from him, he's the creator, through him, he's the sustainer, and to him is all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we take this cup and this bread this morning, if you are not a member of this church, you don't have to be a member of this church to take this cup. You have to be a member of the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God through Christ. You have to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the way we do it, you'll have two cups. One cup underneath will have the wafer and the cup above, of course, the juice. We are in that reminding ourselves of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you take it today, the elders will come out, some of the leaders will come out and hand it out to you in a moment. As you take it, remind yourself of the great king that you can come into his presence with great confidence and boldness because of the work of Christ alone. Thank you.
the Apostle Paul says these words, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is strength. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our mourning. With the love that casts out fear. sanctifying us when beyond our understanding you're teaching us to trust your plans your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us you're with us in the fire and the forever perfect in love you are sovereign over us your wisdom you are wisdom unimagined who could understand your way Raining high above the heavens, reaching down, reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly, he's compassionate and kind, compassionate and kind. You surround. 
your promises. And your promises are mighty light. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. He's faithful. You're faithful forever. Perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Your plans. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over Even what, even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good, for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Even what the enemy means for evil. glory your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us you're with us in the fire and the flood he's faithful forever you're faithful faithful forever and perfect in love you are sovereign over us yes Lord you're faithful forever and you're perfect in love two things that I am not but God we thank you that through Christ you see Jesus within me I fail but Jesus prevails I'm weak, he is strong. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us in the fire, in the flood. Come what may, Lord, you are with us. 
God, thank you for your sovereignty that is seen throughout the ages. We can see it spread throughout the Old Testament. How the Israelites even survived is a miracle. And that just comes down to the fact that you were with them. You were sovereign. The plans you set before them, they could bank on. Hundreds of years would go by. Doubt would set in. Worry and fear would creep in. But God, you were faithful. Your promise came true. The Messiah did come. And the Messiah has come for us too. Jesus, we thank you this morning for saving us, for redeeming us, for giving us a hope. The world can fall around us and crumble, Lord, but you are with us. We thank you for this morning, God, as we go into our weeks, may we be light in a dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.